times in those rare occasions when I can't be here on Sundays, I actually miss being here. I really do. <clears throat> in the days surrounding two weeks ago today, September 11th, two weeks ago today was September 11th, we were bombarded with several days of remembering what happened 10 years ago on that date. You couldn't turn on a television set, you couldn't open a newspaper, you couldn't turn on the radio without seeing or reading or hearing something related to the events of that awful day. You know, it's interesting to note that on the 10th anniversary of Pearl Harbor in 1951, you couldn't even find a mention of it in the New York Times. Now, the next day, there was a one-paragraph story. It was a small story, not a multi-page section like the Tulsa World featured on September 11th this year, or a days-long series of programs on radio and television. I'm not implying there's necessarily anything wrong with these things, but it's interesting to me that in the last 60 years, we as a culture have become significantly more introspective about these things. We've become more parochial, too. That is, we're more concerned than ever without how such national and international events affect us as individuals. These retrospective looks at 9-11 often included the recalling of individuals' experiences on that date, whether they were directly or even indirectly involved, or whether they were not involved at all, other than as observers like all of us here this morning. But you know, as I watched these things, as I read some of these things, there was one common theme which I heard again and again surrounding the 10th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on America. And this thought came home to me as I was exercising on the elliptical machine on the Thursday preceding the anniversary. Now, when I do my elliptical workouts, I have an MP3 player. So I'm usually listening to music, sometimes listening to podcasts or sermons. But most days, I also glance at the TV screens. They have TV screens in front of the machines. And they typically have sports or news turned on, but the sound is turned down, so there's closed captioning so you can read what the people on the program are saying. There was one particular program where several women were sitting around a coffee table and they were remembering where they were on 9-11-2001 and how it impacted their thinking, how it impacted their lives. And the most common statement they made about the events of that day, and I heard this, this same statement in many other places from many other people of that long weekend was this, everything changed. They said everything changed. If you, if you read some of the statements, if you heard radio, if you saw some of the TV reports, you saw. They said it again and again, everything changed. So as I'm sort of watching this program and I'm reading the closed captioning while I'm also listening to the music on my MP3 player, these song lyrics come on my music player. So they're saying everything changed, everything changed and these song lyrics come on my player. How many deaths did I die before I was awakened to new life again? How many half-truths did I bear witness to till the proof was disproved in the end? How long, how far, what was meant to illuminate shadowed me still and all you ever wanted, only me on my knees singing holy, holy. And somehow all that matters now is you are holy, holy. So here's the world, by way of this particular TV program, telling me everything has changed. But this song is telling me that God is holy. And at that moment, I think, you know what? Certainly some things changed, but some things never changed. God was holy then, and he's holy today. God doesn't change. His purposes 
don't change. Yes, we have tighter security at airports. Yes, we've waged war because of these attacks. Certainly for those who were directly or even indirectly involved, those who lost loved ones, for example, those whose lives have been impacted by the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, many things have, in fact, changed as a direct or indirect result of what happened on that day. But some things never change. God never changes. And at the beginning of preparing for this message, I started to think through and came up with a list, actually, of things that haven't changed since 9-11. I actually came up with a list of about 14, and I began to explore these things. But this morning, I'm actually going to examine just two of the things that ended up on my list, and then take a look at the underlying foundation of all these things, the reality presented in his word that God never changes. One thing that isn't any different today than it was before 9-11-2001, God loves Muslims. Yes, it's true. Radical Muslims attacked America and killed nearly 3,000 of our fellow citizens in one day. And yes, I believe God hates Islam because it's a false religion. But Muslims, the individuals who follow that false religion, God loves each and every one of them. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Ezekiel 18.23, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. Apply these verses as I read them in your thinking to Muslims. And then, of course, our favorite, everybody's verse that everybody seems to know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God so loved the world. That was quite an amazing statement for that time. The Old Testament and other Jewish writings had spoken primarily of God's love for his people Israel. So God's love for the world made it possible for whoever believes in Christ, not Jews alone, to have eternal life. God's love for the world was not mere sentiment, but led to a specific action. He gave his only son. So the world in this verse, as well as the word whoever, clearly must include Muslims. So that hasn't changed. That's one thing that hasn't changed. God still loves Muslims. Another thing that's true that hasn't changed since 9-11 is this. God's still on the throne. God's still in charge. Nothing surprised him about 9-11 and the explosions, the collapse of the buildings did not shake his throne or his sovereign care. Let's suffice it to make this point mostly by reading through these passages of Scripture. Psalm 47, 7 and 8, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a song of praise. God reigns over all the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Revelation 7, 10, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jeremiah 32, verses 26 and 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything 
too difficult for me. God's still in charge. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You get the idea? God's in charge. God's still on the throne. That has not changed. One commentator wrote this. The Christian view affirms that God has not merely created the universe together with all its properties and powers and that he is preserving all that he has created, but that as a holy, benevolent, wise, and omnipotent being, he also exercises sovereign control over it. This sovereign control is also called providence. Providence is that continuous activity of God whereby he makes all the events of the physical, mental, and moral phenomena work out his purposes, and that this purpose is nothing short of the original design of God in creation. To be sure, evil has entered the universe, but it is not allowed to thwart God's original, benevolent, wise, and holy purpose. Now this thought leads to a truly foundational truth. Now remember, I told you that when I started out thinking about, preparing about, praying for this message, I started out with a list of 14 different things that hadn't changed since 9-11. I was going to whittle that down to 10 or less so we wouldn't be here till 2 o'clock. And that was going to be the focus of today's message. But as I got into the Word, I was truly captured with this underlying idea that these things, this whole list of things that I came up with that, that hadn't changed, these things don't change because God doesn't change. And I found myself studying this attribute of God, immersing myself in this amazing and profound idea and finding God redirecting the whole scope of this message to take a longer look at this truth. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture we already have, and we're going to add the clear thinking of many theologians on this truth. So hang with me, okay, as we get into this. Scripture is full of this truth, one of the many attributes of our great God. Theologians call it immutability. You've heard, some of you have heard that word, immutability. You'll see it spelled here in a minute. We lay people might call it unchangeableness or unchangeability. But regardless of what you call it, the Word of God presents this idea as absolutely true of God. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. We see it in the Old Testament in this most familiar verse. It's on the cover of your bulletins this morning. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. That's pretty clear. We also see it in the New Testament in James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation 
or shadow due to change. But as are all of the attributes of God, this one is a tough one to grasp. It's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. It's tough for us to entirely understand because Scripture not only tells us that God is unchanging, but it also tells us that he wants us to ask him, seek him, knock on his door with prayers and petitions and requests. So think about that. If God is unchangeable, why would we, why should we pray? Why would we ask for anything if God doesn't change at all? But here's the problem. Scripture indicates both God's unchangeable nature as well as his responsiveness to his children. How can we reconcile these two seemingly opposite, these opposing things? First, let me say that I don't believe we can reconcile these things, at least not entirely. There are some things that Scripture teaches quite clearly, but that don't seem to make sense to our puny, finite human minds. Fully God and fully man, for example. Anybody get that one? The Word of God is very clear that Jesus was both at the same time in the incarnation. Who here wants to raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I get that, I understand that. If you raise your hand, we have identified you as a liar. But there are some things, such as Jesus' complete divinity, even as he was also at the same time completely human, that Scripture tells us, but God apparently doesn't feel the need to explain to us entirely. Just as God didn't feel the need to open the window to what was going on in heaven to explain to Job the reason he was suffering so. All God told Job was essentially, over several chapters of Job, he said, I'm God and you're not. Here's what I can do. Here's what I've done. Can you do these things? Trust me. Trust me. That's essentially what God said to Job. There are things that are a paradox, seemingly contradictory things, impossible for us to fully grasp this side of eternity. So we just have to live with this tension. But that said, nevertheless, I believe we can explore these things and we can gain some hints of what's at work here. Now, exploring these things doesn't answer all of our questions but it does magnify and glorify our great God as we consider his amazing attributes. God's immutability is one of these things. God doesn't change. So on the anniversary of 9-11, we were reminded that to many people it seemed that everything changed. But God and the things he has determined, and especially his plan of redemption, have not changed. In their prayer after Peter and John had been questioned and threatened before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, the believers recognized this reality even as they prayed. This is part of that prayer. It's found in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 29. <clears throat> this is the believers praying. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They, meaning Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, all of them participated in God's plan. Though they conspired 
against Jesus, though it might have looked in our finite understanding as if God had to somehow respond to the actions of his creature, somehow in effect changing his plans, they were in reality fulfilling God's purpose. They did what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God's purpose was unchanging. It was all part of his plan of redemption. When we look at Malachi 3, we see the important context in which we read the words we read just a moment ago. I, the Lord, do not change. We see that in verse 6. Let's look at the verses around this statement. Let's begin with Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then we read this statement of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. And then he also says, Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to them and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So God had promised redemption to his people in this context called the children of Jacob. So the context in which God is declaring that he doesn't change here in Malachi chapter 3 is the context of judgment, which he declares for some, and he declares that as certain for some, but it's also in the context of redemption, which is every bit as certain for others. God tells his people that because he does not change, they can depend on their redemption. They can rely on the fact that they will not be consumed or destroyed if they respond in repentance. I, the Lord, do not change implies that God's character and eternal purposes do not change, which gives a solid foundation for his people's faith and hope. However, unchangeableness in character does not mean that the Lord is unchanging in his actions. For the very next verse, return to me and I will return to you, we see in verse 7, shows that God acts differently in response to different situations. The word therefore implies that God's purpose to bring blessing to the world through Abraham's descendants and through a Davidic Messiah will not be defeated, and thus the children of Jacob are not consumed. Their existence as the restored community is evidence of God's faithfulness. God's unchangeability means we can depend on him. Even though we see many passages of Scripture where it says God relents, God forgives, God responds to repentance, where God encourages us to ask, to seek, and knock, where it seems God is not only subject to change, but is prompted to change by us creatures of very questionable character. In light of this passage in Malachi, we learn this. We learn, quoting Mark Galley, God is not an overindulgent parent, continuing spoiling his bratty children, but a stern and just judge who is the Lord of his creation. He does not respond to history, which is like a river constantly running over its banks. Instead, God steadily channels that river toward the kingdom of heaven. We can fight the current and drown trying, or we can order our lives to move with the current of God. Boy, I don't know about you. I want to do that. I want to order my life to move with the current of God. This understanding might also help us 
when we consider this paradox of prayer. God responds to his people's prayers in order to fulfill his unchanging purpose. That's one reason Jesus instructed us to pray to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's one good definition of immutability, in case you've never heard this word or studied this idea. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Although as he, as he acts in response to different situations, he feels emotions. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. There's some passages of Scripture that explains how God's unchanging in his being, in his purposes, in his promises. God can always be trusted because he always keeps his word and is never capricious or moody. I don't know about you. That's good news to me. God is never capricious or moody. Anybody have anybody in their lives that's capricious or moody? Here's another good definition, which fleshes out this idea even more. God, as the scriptures portray him, responds to the needs of his creation and therefore changes in the sense that he relates to what is not God. The biblical idea of immutability is couched in the constancy of God's self-revelation to humanity. He is holy. He is jealous zealous, beneficent, and righteous. God expresses wrath, though he is slow to anger. He expresses love in the election of his people for service and by sending his one and only son as the savior of the world. The God of the Bible is the constant, unchangeable God in his revelation and response to humanity. He gives his name as I am that I am. Literally, I will be what I will be. He is the God who is and will be what he has already been in the past, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever. The greatest religious significance of the unchanging God is his eternal stance of salvation toward his creation. He is eternally faithful to his people. The great systematic theologian Charles Hodge wrote this. He said, God is absolutely immutable in his essence and attributes. He can neither increase nor decrease. He is subject to no process of development or of self-evolution. His knowledge and power can never be greater or less. He can never be wiser or holier or more righteous or more merciful than he has ever been and ever must be. He is no less immutable in his plans and purposes infinite in wisdom, there can be no error in their conception. Infinite in power, there can be no failure in their accomplishment. So God is unchangeable in his essence. His nature and his being are infinite and never change. There was never a time when God was not, when he didn't exist. Think about that. He also didn't earn his way to Godhood. He was never promoted from a lesser being to being the king of the universe. There will never come a time when he will cease to be. He doesn't evolve. He hasn't evolved. He hasn't grown. He hasn't improved. You can never slap a sign on God that says new and improved. All that he is today, he has always been, and he will ever be. He'll always be that. He can't change for the better. How could he change for the better? He's already perfect. Since he's already perfect, he can't change for the worse. He's completely unaffected by anything outside himself. 
So improvement or deterioration is impossible. He can only say, I am that I am, as he said in Exodus 3.14. He is altogether uninfluenced by the passage of time. Arthur Pink wrote, there is no wrinkle upon the brow of eternity. Therefore, his power can never diminish, nor his glory ever fade. God is immutable in all of his attributes. Whatever the attributes of God were before he spoke the universe into existence, they are exactly the same today. And they will always be that way. His omnipotence, for example, his almighty power doesn't fade or wear down. God's the original energizer bunny. He keeps going and going and going. His wisdom doesn't diminish. His holiness is never blemished. His truth never changes. His word is forever settled in heaven. We read in Psalm 119, verse 89, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And his love is eternal. We read in Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And we read in Psalm 100, verse 5, this is a psalm that we have sung here. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Think about this for a moment. As limited human creatures, our will changes. Our plans change. We change. But God's will never varies. Why would God's will need to change? If we consider some other attributes of God, this is clearer still. For example, he's omniscient. That means he knows everything. Not just what's going on now, not just what happened in the past, but what will happen in the future. He knows what we think at this very moment. He's also omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. That means he's able to do anything he wants or needs to do. Why would such a being, if you think about it, why would such a being ever need to change his plans? Psalm 33 11 says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, but the, and the purposes of his heart through all generations. Hebrews 6, 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God is constant. God is constant. We humans are inconstant. We are subject to change, changing our minds. Change in us, because we're not perfect beings, can be good. It can be a good thing. The Bible talks about transforming us into the image of Christ. But change in us can also be bad. It can be bad for us. It can be bad for others. That's because we're fickle. It's because we're moody. How we react is contingent on so many things. It's contingent on other people. It's contingent on how we're treated. It might be contingent on the weather. It might be contingent on how we feel physically. The words of Jacob about Reuben in Genesis chapter 49, verse 4, really do apply to all of us. He said of Reuben that he's unstable as water. He's unstable as water. That's us. But you know what? God's not like us. God's not like us. His plans, his purposes, his will are not contingent. They're not dependent on anything but what he's already decided to do. I don't know about you, but rather than bringing me to dismay, 
with this understanding of God's immutability, it brings me great comfort. Human nature cannot be relied on, but God can. However unstable I can be, however fickle my well-meaning friends might be, God doesn't change. Think of this. If God's mood changed like ours, if he wanted or willed one thing today and something else tomorrow, if he were arbitrary or capricious, how could we rely on him? How could we depend on him? How could we confide in him? Have you ever heard it said about someone, how he or she responds will depend on what kind of mood they're in? You can probably think of people like that, can't you? We don't have to worry about such things with God. We don't have to worry about what kind of mood God is in because we know from his word that his purpose is fixed and it's unchangeable. His will is stable rather than being someone we can't depend on ultimately. He is a rock. He is the rock we can build our lives and our hopes on. The permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Rather than God's immutability being a hindrance to prayer, it's an encouragement to me to pray. Now, let me note, there's also a darker side to this immutability. His unchanging love is comforting to us who follow Christ, isn't it? But his promises include promises of justice. God will not deny himself to gratify their lusts. God is holy, unchangingly so. Therefore, God hates sin, eternally hates it. Hence, the eternality of the punishment of all who die in their sins. The divine immutability, like the cloud which interposed between the Israelites and the Egyptian army has a dark as well as a light side. It ensures the execution of his threatenings as well as the performance of his promises and destroys the hope which the guilty fondly cherish that he will be all lenity to his frail and erring creatures and that they will be much more lightly dealt with than the declaration of his own word would lead us to expect. We oppose to these deceitful and presumptuous speculations the solemn truth that God is unchanging in veracity and purpose, in faithfulness and in justice. Yet, for us as followers of Christ, relying on the redemption he bought for us with his blood, there is comfort and peace in God's unchangeable nature. Isaiah 46, beginning with verse 9, says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And then Hebrews 13, 8, 
applying this same unchangeability to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Human leaders are frail and changeable. Jesus has been and always will be the same. Our world changes. It does. But God doesn't change. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 says, He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Whatever changes happened in our world, from world-shaking events like 9-11, or a struggling economy we're facing today, or life-shaking events like the loss of a job or the death of a loved one, whatever may happen in this world, Christ remains forever changeless. If we trust him, we are absolutely secure because we stand on the firmest foundation in the universe, Jesus Christ. A famous hymn captured this truth. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, you know what? How many of you remember the song that we sang in our corporate prayer meeting on September 12, 2001? September 11th was a Tuesday. We had our monthly corporate prayer meeting on September 12th. And we sang that song. I remember singing that song. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I remember clinging to that truth when the world seemed so uncertain in those days immediately following September 11, 2001. And those words remain true today for you and for me, whatever we face. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So whatever we're facing today, we can rely on, we can trust in, we can stand firmly on our immutable God. Amen? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for an unchanging God. We're grateful that we can bring to the solid rock on which we stand our prayers and our petitions. And Father, that even though you're unchanging in your plans and your purposes and your love and all of the attributes that your word proclaims about you, that you are indeed moved and you do indeed respond to our prayers. We're grateful, Father, that because of the blood of Jesus, we can come to you and we can touch the heart of an unchanging God. We're grateful that you're an unchanging God, Father, because we know that this immutability that is part of your character is an attribute of our great and mighty God. We know that this means we can rely on you. We can absolutely depend on you because you're unchangeable. Father, help us to meditate on this truth. Help us to remember this truth when all the world around us changes, when things are difficult, when life slaps us in the face, when the waters around us rise, and Lord, when things are difficult, we just ask that we would be able to stand firmly on your unchanging nature. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sunday, this is 
testing. This is the uh, last Sunday of the month, so we will have a benevolence offering at the end of the service. I'd like to mention one more time the opportunity to sign up for the 40 Days for Life for this coming September 30th, 12 a.m. to the following 12 a.m. for 24 hours. Bill, thank you so much for bringing the word today. I, the Lord, do not change. Father, we are so comforted by that truth, and we proclaim as one body on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Father, what an incredible reality. Thank you that we were bathed in your word Scripture after scripture, we know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. And so we go in that absolute knowledge that you do not change and that we belong to you. Thank you, Father, for being with us as we leave today. Impress on us if we should be involved with this 40 days of prayer challenge, 40 days for life at the Garden of Hope across from the reproductive services. Father, we give you thanks and all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great day.